thank you, music team. I just want to thank them again. They always do a wonderful job to get us uh, in the mood. And uh, it's great to have the Phillips back. Uh, Pastor Brandon, Angie, and Kayla are back. And just want to welcome everyone to Grace Bible Church service for August 6th already, 2023. And as always, it's an honor to be able to share God's Word with everyone. And I know last week I said we were all heading, we we're going to be heading back into Matthew with Pastor Brandon and the Sermon on the Mount, but since uh, he and the family got in so late on Tuesday, we thought it would be better if he got some time to recover and some more time to prepare. So that means today we'll be back into the Psalms, and today we have a special psalm to walk through, and that's Psalm 19. It's a very special psalm written by David. Some say next to Psalm 23, Psalm 19 might be one of the best known. And so over the last two weeks, we've walked through Psalm 16 and 17. And what we've discovered is, we got to see David in Psalm 16 that when he was in distress, and through it all, he taught us how to remain faithful to God no matter what. And then last week, we walked through Psalm 17, and we saw David in more trouble. Some men were persecuting him, accusing him of all kinds of untruthful things. And what David taught us in Psalm 17 was, how do we pray to a God, to God when we're being persecuted? And the main thing is, is we need to know the God to whom we pray to, and that our cause is a just one. And that's the key he wanted us to know. He wanted us to remember, we must know the God to whom we are praying to. We need a better understanding of God. And the better we understand Him, the better we can pray to Him. And as I said last week, we, we are jumping over for now Psalm 18, and it's 50 verses. But hopefully, Lord willing, I'll be able to circle back sometime and we'll be able to go through that. And so again, today we'll jump to Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, we get to see David. He's a little more relaxed here because he's not in a bind. He's not in trouble. He's not in some kind of distress. But here in Psalm 19, we get to see a man after God's own heart doing some serious thinking. David's in some deep thoughts here in Psalm 19. And what he's thinking about is, as he looks up at the sky and he sees the wonder of God, and because God is God, and so how in the world do us humans ever get to know Him? Really, God is unknowable. He is so big, and we are so small. But as David is there, as he's thinking about all of this, he's reminded what God does. And he's amazed by the fact that because we can never reach up to God to know Him, but it's God who comes down to us and makes Himself known to us. And the fact that we could not know God unless He makes Himself known to us. And so this is what David's reasoning about, what he's thinking about. And as he does this, he wrote Psalm 19. And what David will show us here is that God has made Himself known to us in three ways. That the Almighty, perfect in holiness, God... <laughs> has come down from heaven to reveal Himself to us so that we can know Him. Which means we are all without excuse. Nobody can ever say, I didn't know God existed. No one can say, I thought everything just happened. <laughs> or everything was just always here. No, there's no one that has ever lived or is living or yet to be born that can make that excuse. They can never say, I didn't know there was a God. No one can say, I didn't know God really existed. No one can ever say, how come nobody ever told me that God existed? Because God has revealed Himself to everyone. No one will ever be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know you were real. How come you never revealed yourself to me? This is one of those psalms where we can just picture, at least I can just picture David laying, <clears throat> laying out in a field on a warm, clear day or maybe at night, and he's just looking up at the heavens. He's seeing all the stars or, or he's just soaking in the sun's warm rays and he's thinking about God. 
And which leads him then to begin to think about God's majesty. And again, David knows the God to whom he's praying to, or who he prays to. He understands how majestic God is, how indescribable He is. And then he begins to feel pretty small as he looks up at the sky and he thinks how big God is and again how small man is. Which again leads him to think about how can small man ever know the almighty majestic God? How has God revealed Himself to mankind? And the humbling part about all this is God wants us to know Him. So He's the one that comes down and does the revealing, which does humble us. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to please turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The title of today's message is The Heavens, the Word, and You. And so as David looks up to the heavens and thinking about God, he thinks about how God has revealed Himself to him and to mankind. And what David will show us here is that God, the unknowable, The Almighty is knowable because He has revealed Himself. He has made Himself known to us in three ways. So let's read Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and again, I'll be reading out of the Legacy Bible. Psalm 19, and God's holy word says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line goes, has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let not them rule over me. Then I will be blameless. And I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And there ends the reading of God's word. And let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we could never really know You unless You reveal Yourself to us. And we are so thankful that You have made Yourself known to us. That, Father, the heavens declare Your glory and Your Word is perfect and it restores our soul. Lord, please open our eyes to see the truth in Your Word. As we look at Psalm 19, Lord, let the Holy Spirit teach us today And Father, again, forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better better message than I have prepared. Father, we want to glorify You. We want to honor You and Your Word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 19. Have you ever thought about that? That all of us here today, we could never know God unless He moved toward us and took the initiative and revealed, showed Himself to us. The fact that God is spirit, that we really can't see Him, and God doesn't speak in an audible voice, He he doesn't speak directly to us in sound. We can't see Him, we can't touch Him, we can't hear Him again with that audible voice. So how can we know Him? How does a 
an infinite, immeasurable God, make Himself known to us, His finite creatures? Well, the only way is, is the greater must make Himself known to the lesser. The Creator must make Himself known to His creation. And so this is what David is thinking about here. How does God do this? How how will God make Himself known to us? And here David, again, I like to picture him maybe laying out on a warm summer day or maybe a warm night. He's looking up at the sky and he's amazed by what he sees. And then he asks the question, how does Almighty God, all-powerful God, make Himself known to us? And what we'll see as we walk through Psalm 19 is God does it in three ways. And we'll, we'll see as David shows us something called general revelation. That's what we can see all around us. That's creation. It's what's revealed in nature. And then it's something called special revelation. And that's what we find in God's Word. It's what's revealed in the Bible. And so what we see in creation, then what we read in God's Word, then leads us to God being revealed in our soul. So how does Almighty God, the all-powerful God, make Himself known to us? Again, three ways here in Psalm 19. So first, in verses 1-6, through David shows us God revealed in nature. God revealed in nature. Second, in verses 7-11, through David shows us God revealed in His Word. God revealed in His Word. And then third, in verses 12-14, through David shows us God revealed in His soul. God revealed in His soul. And so in Psalm 19, not only does David teach us about God, but he teaches us how to respond to God. So how does the unknowable God make Himself known to us? Well, it's through His creation, through His Word, and then how do we apply God's creation and then God's Word? How do we apply it? Well, it's revealed in our soul. And so let's dive into God's Holy Word. How does God Almighty, the all-powerful God, make Himself known to us? First, God is revealed in nature, in His creation. Verses 1-6. through six. God is revealed in nature. And again, this is what theologians call general revelation. And what the word revelation means is to reveal information, to make known something that wasn't. And the reason it's called general revelation is... Because it it gives us a general knowledge that there is a God. That God is real. That He exists. And by looking at His creation, we get an idea of what He's like. So let's look at verse 1. David says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Again, we can just picture David laying there, looking up at the sky. Again, maybe the night sky. We don't know for sure. And when he says heavens here, he's speaking of, about the universe, the vast universe. And David's looking up, and he didn't have a telescope. <laughs> he couldn't see just how big the universe was. But even for us, with all of our technology, we can look deep into space, and yet we still don't know just how big the universe is. So big we can't even measure it. And what this vastness, this, what is this uh, ex- expanse showing us? Well, David says the expanse is declaring the work of his hands, his creation. So even without a telescope and to the naked eye, it's still amazing. And notice right off the bat what David is is saying here, what what he wants us to understand. He's saying, what are the heavens declaring? Well, the glory of God. But how do we know that God is glorious? I mean, again, we can't see Him. We can't touch Him. We can't hear His voice. We don't interact with Him directly like that. So how do we know that God is glorious? Well, David's going to look to the skies and he's going to explain it for us. And the first thing that he sees is looking up at creation is, this is an unending testimony for God's glory. The the word glory, it comes from the, the word meaning weight or worth. And so when we look at the evidence of, of looking at God's creation, we can feel the weight or the, the mighty power of God and the worth of God. Think about the fact that we can't even measure the universe that God created and the fact that God is so much larger than that universe that He created. So then we ask the question, then how big is God? 
He's big. Bigger than the universe. And it was all created for His glory. And this is what David is doing here. He, he, he's looking to the skies, and the first thing he sees, he sees this unending testimony of God's glory. But how does the sky do that? How does the sky show us that? Well, look at verse 2. David says, day to day pours forth speech. So the sky during the day just pours out to us God's creative greatness and His glory. It just gushes out to us because the word speech here in the Hebrew means to flow or to pour out, to gush like a fountain of water, just gushing out of the ground. And that's the main object we see. What's the main object that we see day after day? Well, it's the sun. I mean, Florida is called the sunshine state. And the sun pours out God's glory because without the sun, we would have no light. And that means we would have no plants for food. And without the sun, the earth would be just a frozen rock in space. Because God placed the sun in the exact spot it needed to be for life to exist on earth. And so if the the sun were just a little bit closer, we would all burn to death. And if the sun was just a little further away, we'd all freeze to death. The sun is perfectly designed and perfectly placed, and it pours out to us God's provision that He is a God that provides. Day to day, it pours forth God's unbroken testimony of His glory. Well, how about at night? Well, the rest of verse 2. David says, And night to night reveals knowledge. Again, David is looking up at the sky And what he sees is an unbroken testimony. An unbroken testimony which means that the testimony of nature to the glory of God is continuous. It's ongoing. It never ceases. That's 24-7, 365. It never ends. Have you ever thought about the fact that God could have just left the night sky black? He could have not created any stars or planets. We would just be looking up at 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 a blackness. But how thankful we are that He did create stars and planets. Because when we look up now, we know that there's a Creator out there. God created the universe, the moon, the stars, and the planets to show us that they're not all out there by accident or by chance. It didn't didn't just all come together by some random big bang. No, they were wonderfully made by a supreme architect. All this could not have happened by chance. The stars are arranged in such a beautiful order that despite the number of them, the immense number of them, there is no confusion. And so when, God, when David looks and examines the sky, he sees this unbroken testimony. But what else does David say about creation? Well, that it's not only an unbroken testimony, but it's also an unspoken testimony. An unspoken testimony. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, There is no speech, nor are there words, nor voice is not, their voice is not heard. So notice the difference here in verse 3. In verse 2, David said it just pours out. It, it, it gushes out speech. But here, there is no speech. Their voice is not heard. So what does David mean here? Well, he's showing us that the testimony of the sky is not expressed in a human language. It... it, it It's not humanly speaking to us, but it's speaking in a way that's different. It's different from how we communicate with each other when we have a conversation. What David is saying is that God is revealing or telling us this knowledge about himself in a nonverbal way. So as we look at the skies, we see order, we see the magnitude, we see the beauty, we see the variety that's in the skies. And what David's telling us is, that everything that we see when we look up to the sky is moving us or causing us to seek out the Creator. The One who put in place and set all this in motion. And so David in Psalm 19 is telling us that there's, there's again this unbroken, unspoken testimony that's going on. Which should lead us to want to know more about this Creator. And what this means is everyone everywhere on planet Earth has been given this, this nonverbal testimony about the existence of God. And this is what David's going to tell us now. So it's not only unbroken and unspoken, but it's also universal. It's a, a universal testimony. Look at verse 4. He said their, their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances 
to the end of the world. Their line has gone out. Line here, it's like a measuring line. It's measuring something. So this, is, this has the idea of the heavens declaring the glory of God and His existence through the lines. Lines that display the glory of God. They're His, they're his declaration of creation, which are silent, but they really speak through silent words. So they're like God's voice pouring out from heaven like a line or, or, or like a beautiful chord from an instrument which says so much but without saying a word. And, and this display, this line has gone out for all. It says all to see the knowledge of God. It goes to all men and women everywhere equally. It doesn't matter where you live on this planet. It's there to see. So in the span of all of human history, God has not left any man or woman without seeing the testimony of His creative glory. It's universal. Every single person that has ever lived or will has had the same testimony from the living God. David said this testimony is available to everyone. He said their line has gone out through all the earth. That's all four corners. And their utterances to the end of the world. And God has done it so that no human language is needed for it to be understood. So that means a tribal kinsman in Africa or a woman in Tasmania has the same testimony despite whatever human language they speak. They have the same testimony that we have here in Gainesville. They have the same testimony that there's a Creator. That He's powerful. That He's wise. That He's strong. And that He's established order. It's universal. And no actual words are needed. And then the last part of verse 4, David says, in them he has placed a tent for the sun. But here David says, God has placed a tent in the heavens for the sun. What he wants us to show us here is, even though the sun is huge, the universe in which the sun is in makes the sun look like a speck. The universe is so much larger than the sun. The sun is very large. But we can't even, we can't even compare the sun to the universe because the universe is beyond large. I mean, we could travel at the speed of light for 100,000 years and we would, we would still not be very far into the universe. The universe is vast. It's, it's so mind-boggling. But David wants us to remember that God is even larger than the universe. And so the universe is really small when compared to God. In fact, God is so big that He, he looks at the vast created universe and His very large created Son, and they're both so small to Him that it's, it's like God put up a, a little pup tent for the Son to remain in. And David will go on talking about the sun now in verse 5. And now he uses, he's going to use the example of a bridegroom and a strong man. Verse 5, David says, Which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. So David says, The sun is like a young man in the prime of his life, or an athlete in the peak condition. It's like running a race. It's like the sun is, is coming out of that tent that God placed for it, but it's like a young man also on his wedding day. And that's the most glorious day of his life. And he steps out of his chamber to go to, to the wedding place where he'll receive his bride. And he's in the prime of his youth, and it's as good as it gets. And the bridegroom is pictured as strong, energetic, and, and peppy. And so the sun is like a young man whose face is just lit up. It's shining with excitement and joy as he comes out of the wedding chamber. And David said, this is, this is what the sun is like every single day. It can't wait to rise every morning. And when it rises, it comes up with power and glory. And that's every day, over and over, like a strong man running a race that never grows tired. The sun just shouts to us God's glory. And then verse 6 
David says its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So when the sun rises, it comes up with power and with glory. And it follows a circuit or a lap in the sky all day in an unbroken way. The sun gives testimony to the existence of the glory of God. And so here in Psalm 19, David is telling us that the revelation of God is so clear and so final that we can't miss it. It's there for all to see. And so the people who reject it are guilty for their unbelief. But we can ask, what if, what if someone is born blind and they can't see God's creation? Well, did you catch the last part of verse 6? He said, there is nothing hidden from its heat. So even if someone is born blind, they can still feel the heat of the sun. They can still feel the heat from something that is so large and it rises every day and it helps crops to grow, which provides food to eat. And even if you, you can't see the sun, its heat cannot be hidden. It's a testimony to God's glory. All are without excuse. God's creation is crystal clear. And you know, the Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. In Romans 1.20, Paul said this, For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So just by looking at the sky every day, and creation all around us, and feeling the power of the sun on our skin, all of it tells us there's a majestic Creator. That means if someone turns their back on God, and they say that God, He doesn't exist, that means they would rather worship made-up, false, man-made gods. But they are without excuse because God's glory is seen day and night, in the sky. And so how does Almighty God, the all-powerful God, make Himself known to us? Well, first David showed us that God is revealed in nature, in His creation. It's what, again, theologians call general revelation. Which means nature reflects the greater glory of the One who made it. General, general revelation means that God continually makes His presence and power known in nature. And He's been doing it ever since the creation of the universe. And all we have to do is look up at the sky, either day or night, and it testifies in a way that everyone can understand. There's no earthly language needed to understand this. It's, it's, it's clear, it's unmistakable testimony to the glory of God. But even with general revelation as a testimony to God's glory, that's not enough to save us. In order for us to be saved, in order for us to have a close personal relationship with this Almighty God, we need more. So we need special revelation from God to be saved. And this is what David will show us next. The second way in which God reveals Himself to us is God reveals Himself through His Word. Verses 7 through 11. God reveals Himself through His Word. Through the Scriptures. And this is what theologians call special revelation. And so, through general revelation, God lets us know that He's there, that there is a God. But special revelation lets us personally know that God. How can we know this Almighty Creator personally? Well, we must have a personal relationship with Him, which means we must be saved. But how are we saved? Well, that's through, special, that's through special revelation. Through God's Word. God's Word is the saving knowledge of God. And so let's look at this special revelation. Verse 7. David starts off, the law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. So did you catch that David has now changed the name for God here? Notice he's now using Yahweh or Lord, maybe in your translation. But he's now addressing God as Lord or Yahweh. And we see David using Yahweh for God a lot in the Psalms. 
And again, the reason he does this is because this is God's personal name that shows him as a covenant-keeping God who has made himself known. And David does know this because he's he, he, he does this because he's switching topics. He's moving from general revelation to special revelation. And these, these verses are really rich and thick. There's a lot packed into these next verses here. And David starts off verse 7 with, the law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. And again, David calls God, he calls God's word here the law. Remember, David didn't have the New Testament. So he's talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And he begins with God's law. Because it's God's law that teaches us, it instructs us, it directs us. And also, what God's law does is it gives us more information about what God is like. We get to see His holiness. and We get to see our sin. And so the Bible contains everything that we need to know in order to have a personal relationship with God and enter into His kingdom. And David says the law of Yahweh, that's God's word, is what? It's perfect. It's flawless. It's absolute. It's complete. It's without error. And so because it's perfect, what, it, what does it do? He says it restores the soul. That means it soaks deep inside us. And it does the work of converting our soul. So this means that there, 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 there's power in reading and hearing and studying the Word of God that goes beyond intellectual benefit. Because it actually changes us for the better. And verse 7 continues. David then says, The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. Notice that David is using different verbs to describe God's Word. And then he uses different adjectives to describe its characteristics or what it's like. So the beginning of verse 7, he used law for God's Word, perfect to describe what it's like. Now he uses testimony for God's Word and sure for what it's like. The testimony of Yahweh is sure. The Word of God is God's testimony. It's His evidence. And it's sure, it's reliable, it's certain. And it tells us who God is. It tells us what He's like. And what He speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Word. And so when we read Genesis chapter 1, we we can just read it at face value. And say this is what God's Word says. And this is true. And it's sure. We don't need a seminary degree to figure this stuff out. I mean, Pastor Brandon shared with us in the equipping hour that uh, Pablo's dad, he's never had a seminary degree, but Brandon said he was the most godly man he ever met just simply by reading his Bible and studying God's Word. The Holy Spirit has revealed the truth to him. And that's what God's Word is. It, It... if we just read it for, how it's, for what it says. Because it's true. It's sure. And so it makes sense. And what God wants to show us is how to be saved. It's, it's, what, it's what's right in His Word. And because it is, it, it does the work of making the wise simple. Again, we've all met people in our life, like Pastor Brandon has, Some people, they don't have the big college degrees or even much schooling, but they've read God's Word and and through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, they're wise. They're wise in the things of the Lord. They have a tremendous wisdom into the life and godliness because they study and trust the sure Word of God. And then in verse 8, David says, the precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. Here David uses precepts for God's Word and right as its characteristic. So the precepts or God's pronouncements, so His guidelines on how to live. They're divine principles. And God's Word is timeless. They're they're practical. They never go out of date. And so God's precepts, they're morally right. They're significantly right. They're universally right. And they're right because they're the revelation of a God who is holy, holy, True and always right. 
And it rejoices the heart. Our heart rejoices because God's, God's Word brings us joy because we, know, we now know the truth of God's Word. And, and we can have a personal relationship with Him. And that brings us joy. So Scripture, God's Word, is everything that you and I are not. Because we're imperfect. We, we falter. We, we fall. We're wrong in our hearts. We're impure. All of us are... <laughs> All of us are enormous sinners. We need to understand that. But Christ is an even greater Savior. We need to understand that as well. And to receive His saving grace, we must believe in Him. And for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's all here. It's all laid out in God's Word. The Bible, the Bible is God speaking to us through His Word. And God knows how to talk. He knows how to communicate. And this is what David is showing us here, that God's Word is perfect. It's sure it's and right. And David goes on in verse 8. He says, The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. Here David uses commandment for God's Word and pure to characterize it. God's Word is a commandment for us in how to live. So this isn't, this isn't a God's suggestions on how to live for the Lord. It's not a hint of the Lord and how to live for Him. No, David says the commandment of Yahweh. God's Word has a divine authority. It tells us, it tells us how we must be saved and how we must live because God's commandment comes from a God who is Himself pure and holy, which means that a pure and holy God can only communicate no other way than by purity and holiness which means that we never have to worry about the Word of God leading anyone into sin. And so because God's commandments are pure, His Word then is a light in the darkness and shows us who we really are. And it enlightens our eyes. It shows us the truth. I've heard it said, we may read the Bible, but really the Bible reads us. We live in a world where today, how do we know if anything's true? How can we believe anything anymore? Well, God's Word is true. It's pure. It's clear. It's crystal clear. It's so clear in a world filled with so many lies that God's Word stands out like a beacon of light on a dark, cloudy night. God's Word is truth. It's pure. Psalm 119 in verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. And it shows us who we really are before Christ and who we can be in Christ. And so in verses 6-8, through eight, David wanted us to see how God reveals Himself through His Word. And he did it in eight ways. He used four different verbs and four different adjectives to do it. And he did that because he doesn't want us to miss the point that God reveals Himself through nature, through His creation, but it's only through His Word where we can know this awesome, mighty, holy God and that His Word is perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. And it's true. Everything in the Bible teaches us is true and trustworthy. It's without error. It's, it's, it's complete in, in its revelation of God. And because it is, God's Word is powerful to change the human heart. And now, in verse 9, David continues looking at God's Word, but now he wants to show us what God's Word should do to us when we understand it. Once we understand it, what do we do with it? He wants to know this is God's Word, this is what it's going to do, and when it penetrates deep into your soul, what do you do with it? God's Word is the special revelation that changes our heart. And through God's Word, He He's revealing Himself to you. And are you understanding who He is? So David starts out verse 9. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. David says here, the fear of the Lord. And really, this is the key to understanding Yahweh God. Why? Because when we understand just who God is, it should invoke fear. And we need to have fear of God inside of us. 
We need to take him very, very seriously. And this is what God's word will do. It will give us a reverence, a respect in our soul for God. We need a sense of awe for God in our heart, which will then lead us to a respectful worship of him. David says the fear of Yahweh is clean, it's spotless, and it is enduring forever. Everything in this world is decaying. It's fading away, but not God's Word. It will go on throughout all eternity. And everything we need in life, from everything from what we need to know about God, ourselves, our sin, and our Lord Jesus Christ, and salvation, everything we need to know is found in this book. And then next David says, the judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. And so by reading God's word, we see his judgments, and they are true and righteous. By reading God's word, we understand that, that God backs up what he says. He has given us his word, his commandments, and if we don't obey his law, his precepts, he is the righteous judge. That Yahweh God means what he says and says what he means. And that there will be reward if we follow his word. And there will be punishment if we don't follow his word. David says God's judgments are righteous altogether. There is is nothing false or untrue in his judgment or in his word. It's always just. There's no injustice in his word. And so as we sum up what David just told us here in verses 6 through 9. Remember, he's showing us how God reveals himself through special revelation, which is his word. And what God's Word does is that this special revelation, better than general revelation can do, it can do it better because His Word, His law is perfect. It restores the soul. It's sure, making wise the simple. It's right, rejoicing the heart. It's pure, enlightening the eyes. It's clean. It endures forever. It's true. They are righteous altogether. So what does God's Word do? What can God's Word, the special revelation, powerfully do that the amazing general revelation can't do? Well, God's Word is powerful enough to convert our soul. It's powerful enough to restore us from a position of sinful weakness to a place of spiritual strength. God's Word has the power to meet us right where we need to be met. Whatever our heart needs, God's Word will meet it. Because of that, it will bring hope, joy, and wisdom. And now in verse 10, David will show us how valuable God's Word is. How valuable is God's Word to David? Well, look at verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. When David was king, he was was a very wealthy man, but throughout Scripture, this isn't what David's remembered for. I mean, his son Solomon was remembered more for his riches than than his dad. But David never bragged about his riches because he really didn't care about them. What David is most remembered for is he was a man after God's own heart. And back when David wrote this, gold was, was everything. It, it was extremely valuable. It still is today. But, but back then, it was everything. But what does David begin verse 10 with? God's word is more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Why does he say this? I mean, both of these gold and Bible, gold and the Bible can change our lives. I mean, if someone gave us 50 pounds of gold, that would be a life changer. So they both have the power to change lives, but only one can change us from the inside out. And so even though gold will elevate our lifestyle, the Bible will elevate our life. David's telling us that it's more valuable to study God's Word, that it's, it's more valuable than to have gold, but not just gold, but much fine gold. So when we read God's Word and we study it, practice it, teach it, That keeping the Word of God like this, that treasuring it within our heart, it's greater than gold. Because gold is temporary. It's not eternal like God's Word. 
And then in verse 10, David said, God's word is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David's telling us that taking in God's word, this isn't something awful. It isn't bad tasting. No, in, in fact, it's sweet. Honey is sweet and enjoyable to eat, but God's word is sweeter still. And what happens when we eat sweet things? Well, for me, it usually makes me want more. I want more. So the more we read God's Word, the more we want it. We want its sweetness. And then in verse 11, David tells us why God's Word is greater than material wealth or or sensual pleasures. In verse 11, he says, Moreover, by them your slave is warned. And this warning is a good thing. Remember that those on the way of the righteous are on God's path, and the way of the wicked are not. And so it's good to be warned that we're on the wrong path. Somebody needs to tell us, because the longer we travel on the wrong path, the path of the wicked, the farther and farther we move away from God. And so it's through this this special revelation, through God's Word, that we're warned. We're warned to get off of that path. Proverbs 12.14 says, "There There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And so it's through God's Word, David says, your slave is warned. And the end of verse 11, David says, in keeping them there is great reward. Again, God honors the one who honors His Word. And it's not the keeping of God's Word that we're rewarded for, but the reason we're keeping God's Word. Are we doing it out of fear? Or are we doing this for God because then He'll do something for us? Is it a give and take? Or are we keeping God's Word because we love Him and we want to keep them? That we have a personal relationship with Him. When we have a personal relationship, we want to obey Him out of love. So we ask, is it out of duty or out of love? And God honors those who honor His Word because they have a personal relationship with Him and they love Him and they want to keep His, they want to obey Him out of love. Keep His commands. David wants us to see how the Almighty God, the all-powerful Yahweh God, makes Himself known to us. And the first way He showed us was that God revealed Himself in nature through His creation, through general revelation. And then second, David showed us God revealed Himself in His Word through Scripture, through special revelation. And now third, David will show us how God reveals Himself in His soul. In the soul, in verses 12 through 14. God revealed in the soul. So what do we do with these two ways that God reveals Himself to us? We see God in nature, in His creation, general revelation. We see God in His Word, special revelation. So what do we do with all this information about God now? If we see Almighty God's power in His creation, and if we read God's Word, which is pure, and we see that we're sinners, what do we do? Well, what does David do? Look at verse 12. He says, who can discern his errors? So notice the first thing David does is he asks God a question. From looking up at the sky and seeing God's glory, from reading God's Word, he understands how holy God is, and now he understands how sinful he is. And so David asks the question, Lord, how can I know all the sins that are lurking in my heart? David now feels the weight of his sins. And so what he does next is, he says, acquit me of my hidden faults. He asks for forgiveness. He says, acquit me, clear me, clean me of hidden faults. So it was though special revelation. It was through the special revelation and through God's Word where David, he couldn't understand it without special revelation. Because God's Word is like a mirror in our lives. It shows us the sin in our lives that we can't see without it. And this is a very simple little prayer, but it it comes from deep in David's soul, deep inside. He prays, Lord, acquit me of hidden faults. Lord, I I, I can't see my sin like you do. Lord, I, I know that there are things in my life that are sinful and that are wrong. Lord, sins that are outside of 
of your moral will that I can't see. So Lord, by the light of your great special revelation, your pure word, Lord, I'm asking you for free forgiveness to remove any barriers so, so I can have fellowship with you. Again, the simple little prayer of repentance. And this is how God reveals himself in our soul. And then in, in verse 13, David says, also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. So he's asking for forgiveness and now here he's praying for, for a, a spiritual protection. He's asking God to help him stay away from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous, the word means prideful or arrogant. So these are sins that are done in a proud and knowing way. These are planned sins. Self-gratifying sins. And David's asking for protection from these kind of sins. This is a prayer from a man after God's own heart. David's asking, Lord, how can I stay away from these sins? So how can we stay away from these sins? Well, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. In Psalm 119, 9 through 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David here is praying to God. He's asking, Lord, don't let me drift into sin or don't let me plan out my sin. Any sin that would harden my heart and make me rebellious against you. And then next in verse 13, David says, let them not rule over me. Lord, please don't let my sin rule over me. And for our sin to not rule over us, this can only happen by the power of God's Word in our lives. It's the only way. We can try. We can, we can disdain from things for a while, but it always comes back. It's only through the power of God's Word that sin will not rule over us. And then next in verse 13, David says, then I will, then I will be blameless. And he's not talking about being sinless here. What he means is that there, there, there's no area of our lives that's so out of balance that, that it would discredit us. That our life is an open book before God. There's no sin that rules over us or that we, that we try to hide. And then he finishes up verse 13 with, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Our sins are many, but God's mercy is more. God's grace, is, God's grace is so much larger than our sins. And if we are in a personal relationship with Yahweh God, we can come to Him and ask for forgiveness and repent. And He knows our heart, and it will be granted. And we can be cleared. We're acquitted. David is asking for pardon. He's asking for forgiveness of sins. He can't, he's asking for these sins that he can't see in his life, but he knows God can. And now finally in verse 14, here's another way that God reveals himself in our soul. David is going to ask for purity, for righteousness. In verse 14, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Did you notice that starting in verse 13, David began using the, the first person singular pronouns. We, we see I and my in verses 13 and 14. And the reason this is, is because God has revealed himself into David's soul deep, deep inside. And, and it's changed him. It's changed him. First, by seeing God's creation, by looking up, and then by reading God's pure, deep, penetrating word, it has led David to repent and revealing himself God has revealed himself in David's soul. And now there's a change. And now David only wants to please his Lord in what he thinks and what he does and what he says. And here he's asking Yahweh God to keep the words of his mouth to match up with what's inside of his soul. David knows that what's inside someone's heart and soul is more important than how they look or act on the outside. And what's in our heart and soul will always make its way up and out, and how we speak. And David wants to glorify the Lord with his mouth. David's saying, Lord, please let my words be acceptable in your sight. 
make what I think and what I say pleasing in your sight. So after God makes Himself known to us through nature and then through His Word, that truth works its way deep into our soul, which then brings us to a state of contented submission to this God who has made Himself known. David's saying, Lord, what would most please me is You working in my life so that what comes out of me would most please You. That's how priceless this God is to David. He's saying, Lord, I just want to be found pleasing in Your sight. And then, David finishes up this psalm again on a high note. He usually ends on something wonderful, something for us to take away. In the last part of verse 14, he says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We see David crying out to the Lord. He says, you are my rock. It's personal. My, my, you're my, my strength, my rock. Because your strength is like a mighty rock that rescues me. It, it, it gives me a solid place to stand. Yahweh is David's rock. And his Redeemer. So after God has revealed Himself to David through His creation, through His Word, David knew he needed a Savior now. (laughs) And that Yahweh, God, is faithful and would rescue him. God revealed Himself deep, deep into David's heart and soul. And and it didn't matter what anybody else would say to David or do to David because God is his rock and his Redeemer. He puts all his trust in him to be His protector. And He trusts in Yahweh to be the one who delivers Him from His sin. So how does God Almighty, the all-powerful God, make Himself known to us? Through His creation. Through general revelation. Through Scripture, the Bible, special revelation. And through our soul, which changes us forever. And so as we conclude, as we wrap this up, An unknowable, almighty God has come down and made Himself known to mankind. And He's done it in a way so that no one can miss it. He's done it in the sky, and He's done it through the Scriptures, so that when we look up, it's this amazing complexity of creation, the order, the perfection of it all, the immensity of it all, which should bring us to wanting to know who is this God who did all this. Which leads us to opening up His Word the Scriptures, and in God's Word, we learn who God is and we learn who we are, which leads our soul to recognize that we need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. General revelation isn't enough to save us. We need God's special revelation. We need His Word. And for us, on this side of the New Testament, David didn't have the New Testament like we do. And so for us, as we read the New Testament, we can see that God has revealed Himself in an even greater way, a fourth way. And it's through His Son. Because when we read the New Testament, we run headfirst into the living Word. The living Word of God. And the Word was with God. Our Lord Jesus was with God in the beginning. He created all things and is the light of the world. And God has revealed Himself in His Son, The Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word. Our Lord Jesus is the one who reveals to us the unseen God. Our Lord Jesus is all that God is. And how amazing is it that God made Himself known, revealed Himself in the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only to show Himself, but to offer Himself as a sin sacrifice for you and for me and for everyone who would ever believe in Him. How does God make Himself known? God shows us His majestic power and grace in so many places. Everywhere we look, we see His majestic power and through His special revelation, His Word, we see His majestic grace as His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who left heaven to come to earth and make this God known to us in such an amazing way. Because He took on flesh and then He took our place on the cross and died so we can live. And we'll be taking communion in a few moments. Communion is where we remember and honor that great sacrifice 
Because it was through the cross that sinners like me and you can now be reconciled to God. That God has revealed to us just how much He loves us. But not only by revealing to us who He is, but who we are. And then, made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that truth goes deep into our soul. And we can now pray like David did. Lord Jesus, you are my rock and my redeemer. And we are forever thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you make yourself known. And Lord, we are without excuse. And we are thankful that your word shows us who we are. Father, that we are, we are all sinners in need of a Redeemer. And we are so thankful that, Father, that you became that Redeemer. That our Lord Jesus left heaven to become the perfect Lamb of God, to take our place so we can be forgiven and saved. And Father, as we will be taking communion in just a few minutes, help us to really think on all that you've done. So that not only can we know you exist, but that we can be forgiven and we can have a personal relationship with you. Father, thank you for your word and how it changes us. We ask, Father, all this in Jesus' name. Amen.